This is the First Bet Racing Show on HRRN. For the quarter mile left now, and Otto the Conqueror making his move right now with Glenn Gary. They're on even terms as they go to the stretch. From the back, Raging Torrance still third, fighting off Magic Grant, My Buddy Mel, nothing from third street. In the stretch, in the springboard mile, race on. Otto the Conqueror on the outside. Glenn Gary's the gray at the rail. They're nose to nose with a furlong left. Magic Grant emerging third. Final 16th coming up. Otto the Conqueror now by ahead. Trying to battle back, Glenn Gary doing so at the rail. Otto the Conqueror has more left, and Otto the Conqueror will get it by half length, winning the springboard. Otto the Conqueror. Glenn Gary hard fought second. Magic Grant was third. Now here's Bobby Newman and Bob Nastanovich. Good afternoon. Welcome to another edition of the First Bet Racing Show here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. I'm Bobby Newman along with Bob Nastanovich. We've got live action today from Gulfstream Park, Fairgrounds, maybe a little bonus coverage from Delta Downs as well. Also going to dive deep into the memory banks and look at Bob's favorite Breeders' Cup races of all time. Really looking forward to getting that, Bob. And also going to get a chance later in this hour to talk to Dean Reeves. He's from Reeves Thoroughbred Racing. He's been a horse owner for several years, and he's been very prominent in the sport. He's been a friend here to the network, but he was on the wrong side of an at best questionable disqualification this past weekend at Aqueduct. So we are going to talk to Dean Reeves and find out what in the heck happened up at Aqueduct this weekend. Uh, I don't know if he can tell us because I'm still um, quite confused myself. It's a, it was a situation in which the uh, horse that crossed the line in first, the one horse, um, uh, was a horse that I was rooting for and bet a small amount of money on. And to be when they crossed the wire, I can't believe that the one horse stayed up. Uh, so I mean, <laughs> I just uh, I assumed I'd I had lost the money. And and uh, 15 minutes later, when the when the result became official, um, it was one of those moments where you're like, okay. That shouldn't have happened, but I'll take the money. Yeah, you and I both picked the horse on our weekend stakes preview, Antonio of Venice. Uh, I, like you, bet a little bit on the horse. It wasn't a gigantic wager, but like you, I thought once I saw the first replay, we're coming down, and that's all there is to it because our horse had no room, kind of bowled his way out at the quarter pole and uh, caused a chain reaction, and lo and behold, they took some other horse down out of the race and left our horse up, which was obviously good for our egos and for our wallets, but I think <laughs> was clearly the wrong decision that was made up at Aqueduct, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. Uh, the race we heard coming into the show was this year's Springboard Mile out at Remington Park, a traditional closing weekend feature for two-year-olds going a two-turn mile uh, in Oklahoma City. Their speed had been very good all day on an off-racetrack Bob, and we had seen a lot of wire-to-wire efforts, and it seemed like both jockeys, Luis Saez and Tyler Gaffleone, aboard Glenn Gary and Otto the Conqueror, respectively, uh, knew that, so they were gunning right from the get-go. They set a very solid early pace. pace. To me, it looked like a total stagger fest down the line. They came home in, I, I think, almost 15 seconds. But Otto the Conqueror proved three-quarters of a length better at least this past weekend than Glenn Gary. I'm not really sure either of them wants two turns. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Basically, one thing we have to keep in mind with this racetrack at this point, this card in particular, was it had rained much earlier. It was a sealed, muddy surface. I would actually call it gluey. 
Um, it was not a, uh, a good racing surface at all and uh, very demanding at that point in the evening, uh, very sticky, muddy surface. And these two horses, Glengarry in particular, strikes me as a sprinter being asked to go a mile. Uh, Mata the Conqueror across the line and first has the pedigree to stay a mile, but at this point in career, he basically just outstayed a sprinter. As far as I could tell, it was a real war of t- a war of attrition, and uh, I, I don't think there's much substance to the form. But uh, good for the uh, Asmussen trained out of the Conqueror, out of the Conqueror, and his owner's Three Chimneys Farm. Nice, uh, uh, hundred eighty thousand dollar first prize on the springboard, and I'm not sure if it was a vintage renewal. By the way, was uh, messaging back and forth with Duck Phillips. He's one of the owners of Glengarry, and he was very proud of the way that his two-year-old ran. Look, sounds like they're going to give him a few months on the farm, maybe bring him back toward the end of the Oaklawn meet and find some one-turn races for him going forward as a three-year-old. Let's get out to Gulfstream Park. Final race on their Thursday card is race number nine, 72 degrees right now here in Hallandale Beach, Florida. Partly cloudy skies, and we're on the turf for this final ninth race of the day. Five furlongs the distance, an allowance optional claiming event for two-year-olds, non-winners of one other than, or in for a claiming tag of $75,000. Two of the eight runners are in for the tag. Those are number five, Private Thoughts, and eight, Shady World. So a couple of longer prices in the wagering. Uh, According to the first bet AI, you need to look at number seven, Spirits Mischief. For Wesley Ward and John Velasquez, that's the one the players are playing right now, Bob. Eight to five on the board for the son of Into Mischief coming off a resounding off-the-turf maiden win at Keeneland last time out. Yeah, first of all, it's great to hear that the owners of Glengarry, that was the first loss of his career, uh, that one of his owners wants to uh, go sprinting. There's a lot of money to be made with a a three-year-old sprinter, and uh, we often... Uh, don't see the best of these sprinter types when they're asked to go much further. So very good to uh, you know hear that about an Iowa bred who will have some glorious opportunities at Prairie Meadows and elsewhere. Um, this is an interesting race. This was, I thought I think it was a really great race. Actually, there's some very talented horses in here, including the favorite, uh, the Wesley Ward trainee. I was very intrigued by the one horse in here. He was entered in the pulpit stakes a few weeks ago, drew an outside post, um, so he didn't participate. He's back here in a sprint. Um, I was actually excited to see him go around two turns. I think, I think that might have been to his advantage. He's the son of Yoshida. Um, right now he's kind of circling around. He's pretty lively on the track. He has a, had a work the other day on December 15th, the kind of workout we don't see much anymore. Kind of reminded me of uh, Jimmy Kroll, of course, the great uh, Hall of Fame trainer, trained Holy Bull. He blew out three furlongs and 33 flat. Um, did Okiro, the one horse. Um, so obviously he keys quick. He's won from the inside before. Um, the price is quite a bit thinner than I would have hoped. He's six to one in the morning line right now. He's five to two. Um, notable in here that the uh, five horse, who's thirty to one, which is the same as his morning line, he's by a Neolithic out of an Oasis Dream mare. That's a delightful five furlong turf pedigree, and he turns back from uh, six furlong dirt races. I thought he was worth a look at a massive price. In fact, I thought he'd go off much shorter than 30 to 1. Um, but yeah, um, I really can't bet the race because I was going to bet Okiro and I can't take 5 to 2 on him. And I really can't take uh, 8 to 5 on, on, the, uh, on the favorite either. Well, you know what, Bob? The good thing about the sport that we love is that you don't have to wait much longer to look for something down the line. Now, maybe you don't have any more chances today at Gulfstream Park, so if you're somebody who's kind of old school and sticks to one circuit, 
well, you'll wait for tomorrow's races uh, in beautiful Hallandale Beach, Florida. But, of course, there's great racing from fairgrounds later today. And, uh, you know, if you're willing to uh, stay up into the wee hours, you can find racing in uh, Asia and Australia tonight and then get up early tomorrow morning for racing from the U.K. and France and places like that. So uh, It's a great now, life, Bobby. It's you, just you a know, great the, life. The, the good news is, you know, you, you, the long and the short of it is, Patience is a virtue in our sport, and our sport allows betters to be patient. We are not for, you know, this is not it. This is not like, you know, uh, if you're playing college football, you know, the Hawaii game is the, the, your last yeah, yeah. chance to get out for another six, six or seven days, depending on uh, how the f- college football schedule is. We've got it all day and all night, especially with uh, the use of our ADW accounts, all of them, and especially our folks at, at first uh, and ExpressBet and those, uh, you know, they offer anything and everything that you could want. So if we are not satisfied with the prices that are presented to us with this ninth and final at Gulfstream, not a big deal, right, my friend? Well, I mean, and today we've got some really great betting opportunities at the fairgrounds. Um, we're going to cover four races from there. There's a lot of races that are uh, very enticing plays actually a few uh, large number plays so uh they're finally getting around to easing their way towards the starting gate at uh, Gulfstream park uh, for they've been a little bit closer to schedule lately but uh here they are doing their uh, sort of usual casual approach to the gate these uh this pretty talented bunch of two-year-olds are a race definitely worth watching yeah, I, I'm happy that the weather is a lot better going into this weekend than it was last weekend in South Florida, where there was basically a tropical depression approaching and then hitting on Saturday. Of course, they had to cancel the, the final three or four races on the Saturday card, including the Allen Jerkins handicap, which will be uh, rerun this week. But um, And they were off the turf all week last week, which means a whole lot of synthetic track racing at Gulfstream. Um, back to fast and firm conditions and my amateur uh, weather forecasting, as it were, uh, says that we should be pretty good most of the weekend. So uh, looking forward to that, looking forward to seeing some more turf racing, including this up-and-coming ninth race on the card. By the way, after this race, uh, we're about seven minutes away from the sixth race at Fairgrounds, so we've got plenty of time before we need to get over to New Orleans. But as you mentioned, Bob, they are approaching the starting gate. In fact, at the gate now for the ninth and final on the card over at Gulfstream Park. Uh, your selection, Okiro, is uh, up to 3-1 to one right now. Still half the price of his morning line, which was 6-1. to one. But uh, uh, certainly, at least uh, on the dam side, I love Malibu Moons on the turf. Kind of a sneaky, decent turf pedigree when I see the name Malibu Moon in there. Um, taking nothing away from the favorite Spirits Mischief, who's already run well on turf and on sloppy dirt in his last two starts, uh, third start of the career for this Wesley Ward trainee, and going to uh, certainly, if not his main guy, John Velasquez, uh, it seems like Johnny V rides a lot of the first call runners for Wesley Ward, especially the good ones. Here's Pete Aiello. And runners away. Off a touch slow was Okiro at the back. 
Far outside, Shady World wins the break. Here's Spirits Mischief rushing forward between horses with Esperone down at the inside. Also into the top flight goes King of the Track in the run to the half-mile point. After the slow break, Okiro comes away down toward the inside. Not far away, though. Two in front of Run and Rocket. Second last is Private Thoughts. The trailer is King Skull. They leave the backstretch and move on to the far turn at a big price. It's Esperone in front three parts of a length. Spirits Mischief is second, but he's being outkicked at this point. Okiro, meanwhile, slides through at the inside for Paco. He needs some place to get Go. Wide on the course in Shady World, followed by King of the Track, then Run and Rocket. They're at the top of the stretch. Off cover, loose for the drive. Here's Okiro trying to track down Esperone an eighth of a mile out. Esperone is still in front, but Okiro tries hard. King of the Track starts to gain good ground for Irad. They come past the 16th pole. Esperone's still there. Okiro running out of time. Esperone digs into it at 25 to 1. Second with no excuse was Okiro and 55 and 1. Unofficially, 6-1-3-2 in the ninth and final at Gulfstream Park. Long shot Esperone takes the lead first time he was on the turf and never looks back. Bob, looked like your top choice, Okiro, had every chance to run him down. He just was second best today. Yeah, that bobble in the second or third stride definitely cost him. But, uh, yeah, no, he took dead aim. And uh, I think he basically lost by about a head here. Um and uh, was gaining, I mean, a promising effort. But, uh, yeah, that, that little bit of a tardy start from the inside might have cost him. Folks, did you know Verizon is now offering customers a free iPhone 13 or up to $800 to put towards a new 5G phone? This offer is available for all customers, both new and current, with select trade-in and select 5G unlimited plans. Verizon's best 5G unlimited plans offer up to $90 per month of value, the most included value in the industry, and include incredible savings and the most popular entertainment like Disney+, Plus, Hulu, ESPN+, Apple Music, and more. So turn in your old 4G device, walk away with a brand new 5G device at your local Verizon store today. Right now, it's time for the Blood Horse News Update and a look at the top headlines from bloodhorse.com. Sadler to unveil Argentina's Subsanador in San Antonio. A year after the retirement of 2022 Horse of the Year flight line, trainer John Sadler has another exciting older stakes horse in his barn, this one coming to him from Argentina. Subsanador, a three-time Group 1 winner in Argentina and four for five overall in 2023, set to make his U.S. debut December 26th. That's next Tuesday on opening day of the San Anita Park Winter Spring Meet in the $200,000 Grade 2 San Antonio Stakes at a mile and a 16th. Sadler said Subsanador joined his stable in September and has been given time to acclimate post, uh, quote, rather, his only two races that aren't the best, and he'll never see it here, is turf, referring to a pair of off-the-board finishers. His dirt record is very good down there, unquote. He's four for four on the dirt in 2023, having captured the mile and an eighth Peru, his longest race, by a diminishing head last time out. That wraps up this afternoon's edition of the Blood Horse News Update. Blood Horse Magazine is the perfect holiday gift for the horse lover on your list or for yourself. It's the gift that keeps on giving all year long. Right now, when you subscribe to the Thoroughbred Industries Premier Monthly Magazine, you'll receive a 2024 Blood Horse calendar at the $24.95 value, absolutely free. Go to bloodhorse.com forward slash HRRN.
Bob, those of us who have been racing fans as long as you and I have, and especially those of us who uh, grew up watching the racing in Southern California, uh, it seems like, you know, forever, Ron McAnally and Dick Mandela kept getting these fantastic runners from South America, you know, whether it's it, horses like, you know, the, the mare Passiana obviously comes to mind, but they're, they're very good ones throughout the years. And uh, other trainers in North America have been, I, I, poaching is the wrong word because I, it's not always them searching out the South American horses. A lot of times, like with Soup Sonador here in John Sadler, it's the South American runners and their, and their connections looking for opportunities in North America. We're seeing a lot more trainers getting these talented runners from South America. And it sounds like Soup Sonador is a real deal. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, obviously, Bayacoa should always be mentioned in the same sentence as Passiana as well. She was a marvel herself, but both fantastic race mares. But, yeah, like you've mentioned, um, there's been several over the years. There's been several that, that come up and try with lofty reputations and don't amount to much either. Um, so uh, this one might be very special and certainly a welcome addition to the uh, older horse division on the West Coast, which, uh, as we've talked about before, is rather lean. Um, do you know if the owner is uh, Haranis Racing? They, they aren't. It's the, it's the I, well, you know what? I shouldn't say that. I, I believe the people who own the horse in South America still own the runner. So, okay, cool. Uh, but, but we will find out. That's actually, exciting, too. They actually draw uh, all the races for opening day at Santa Anita tomorrow. Uh, so by, I don't know, 6 or 7 p.m. Eastern time, we should be able to uh, get those PPs and uh, take a look at these runners. Nacho Correa is certainly a trainer right now that comes to mind as somebody who gets some talented runners from South America. And they, Ivar, obviously, a really one. Didia, really nice uh, mare in her own right. Uh, he, he's gotten some really good ones over the years and obviously uh, knows what he's doing and uh, getting the best out of them. There's been Absolutely. some uh, really good ones over the years. All right, over at Fairgrounds, 63 degrees, cloudy skies, main track fast turf course firm as we get ready for race number six. I believe it starts the late pick four today, a mile on the grass. These are two-year-old fillies in for a $30,000 tag, scratch numbers Two, five, eleven, and fourteen leaves us with a field of ten going to post. And Bob, I know that your first bet of the day is in this race. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, and and uh, uh, she'll have uh, these are two-year-old fillies. The favorite, the six-to-five favorite, clearly Copper, um, who Steve Asmussen trains and Brian Hernandez Jr. rides, uh, is certainly eligible to win the race. I mean, she kind of looks like. In a lot of ways, like she's sitting on a maiden score. She's in at the right level, maiden claiming 30. But she's the kind of filly that appears to need some racing luck. She has a big late burst, um, and she just seems like the type that might be difficult to uh, win with. Um, I was drawn to the eight a little bit here. It's good to see that Steve Margolis is off to an outstanding start this meet. Um, at, there's a lot of fillies in here that uh, get Lasix, um, and there's a lot of droppers. This is a, a, a Demarchelier filly, of course, is the Dubawi stud that stands at Claiborne. Um, but I'm going to go with the uh, Hartman barn here. They're a little bit cold at the fairgrounds, a little bit red hot at Oaklawn. Um, Chris Hartman has the seven horse in here signing Constitution filly out of a mighty mare. He was a two-year-old stakes winner on the on the grass. So a very good Claiborne turf family. 
Um, like I said, Hartman's one for 20 at the fairgrounds, but I think she she's aggressively spotted. He's won a lot of races with Mitchell Merle over the years, and uh, uh, I was this is the kind of horse. This is a betting stable. So even though she's ten to one in the morning line, I was rather pleased to see that she's currently six to one. So she's live on the board. That makes appeal to me in this case, and I'm going to go with the uh, seven horse signing for my first bet of the day. Okay, signing a uh, nice price as she loads into the gate. First bet AI says the favorite clearly cop clearly copper is clearly the one to beat at a twenty two percent chance of getting the job done. Big field of 10 loading in for the two-turn mile on the turf at fairgrounds, just waiting for number 13, Dublay, also eligible, who drew into the field. Goes in. John Dooley has the call at fairgrounds. They're off. Blue Vortex broke speedily, signing in the red cap toward the inside, smiling Ellie. Marsha, 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 also prominent as they make their way toward the first turn. And Jocelyn looks for position on the outside of rivals with Mitchell Morrow. It's Sanning who leans as they turn from Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. And Smiling Ellie is a ground-saving third as they go to the back of the course. Jocelyn is running in fourth after a sharp start. Blue Vortex now in fifth. Dublé is sixth. Then comes Saucy sixth and seventh position, making his backstretch run. Gray is clearly Copper, who's next in formation, while racing three to four clear from toward the inside. That first-time starter, English Luna, and wide. Sweet Marin trails the turf mile as they make this run past the half-mile pole. And uh, signing has widened to a six-length lead as they head toward the far turn from Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Smiling Ellie running in third by three-quarters of a length. Then comes Jocelyn in fourth. On the extreme outside, Dublay looking to gain from fifth. Blue Vortex, patiently ridden in sixth. Then comes Saucy Six with inside three furlongs to go. Clearly, Copper is still ten lengths off this leader, signing toward the quarter pole. As Marsha, Marsha, Marsha starts her move. Then English Luna and Sweet Marin last. These maiden two-year-old fillies straightened away. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha has taken the lead. Charging on the outside is Smiling Ellie, and here she comes. Signing toward the inside, looking to stay on. Blue Vortex and Clearly Copper charging hard here on the stand side. As they come inside the final half furlong, here comes Clearly Copper. Clearly Copper, Smiling Ellie toward the inside. And Marsha, Marsha, Marsha is not going down without a fight. With Ben Curtis at Smiling Ellie, driven out to best. Clearly Copper in a photo with Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Blue Vortex finished fourth. Final time for the mile, 137 and one three-way driving finish that looks like it went to number three, Smiling Ellie. For a while, Bob, it looked like there were so many chances to get past this filly in the stretch, but they just couldn't do it, and she holds on for the win. Yeah, no, it's, um, I was definitely right about the short price favorite. Unfortunately, signing went way too fast for her own good on the front end. It was, you know, sort of... Uh, sitting a sitting duck at the uh, eighth pole, got tired, uh, might improve off of that. The winner, um, of course, one of the most uh, significant of all class drops from maiden special weight into uh, a maiden tag, in this case a $30,000 tag, uh, proved to to be the uh, oracle for the uh, Cassie Barn. Ben Curtis, who we've talked about on the show, is a very talented and experienced rider from who comes over from Yorkshire, where he's based in the UK, where he's won a thousand races in the UK. He's, he's pretty much a household name in British racing. It's pretty cool that he's off to a good start here at the fairgrounds meet. This is his seventh win of the uh, meet. So very capable rider and, and uh, good to see that uh, the horsemen down at fairgrounds are using him. All right, let's get the prices out for the finale at Gulfstream before we go to break. And 
Number six, Esperone, crossed the wire first, but upon further review, he was drifting out very badly in the stretch and actually bumped runner-up in your selection, Okiro, pretty hard inside the final 16th. Stewards looked at it, decided there was enough to make a change, and the new order of finish, one six three two. The one Okiro placed first, two-year-old Dark Bayer Brown Colt by Yoshida out of the Malibu Moon Mare, She Hung the Moon, owned by Utaka Enterprises Corporation, trained by Jose Garofalo, Paco Lopez, the winning rider. Yeah, I didn't see the replay, but I'll take your word for it. But uh, this is a new trend uh, uh, going on with me. I, I never get uh, put up uh, in these type of races, especially with horses from the one hole. But Okiro was the one. Uh, Might have gotten lucky here. Uh, but uh, cross line in second inherits the uh, first place position. 840 to win. 460 to place. 380 to show. Esperone. Uh, huge price. Uh, anybody who backed that one. Shame that uh, they didn't get the uh, huge, huge price here. 1780 to place, 1040 to show, and King of the Track came in third, paid 540 to show. The one dollar exacto, one six, a hefty 11040. The 50 cent try, one six three, 381 dollars 25 cents, and the 10 cent super, one six three two, 243 dollars 91 cents. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll get you paid for the sixth race at Fairgrounds. We've got more races from New Orleans coming up today. Of course, about a little bit later in the show, about a half hour from now, we'll be speaking with Dean Reeves, uh, owner uh, extraordinaire and very nice guy who uh, really got the wrong of an end of it, of a terrible situation with a ta- uh, just an awful disqualification, if you ask me, uh, with what we saw in one of the stakes this past weekend up at Aqueduct. But in this next segment... We're going to start to look back at Bob Nastanovich's favorite Breeders' Cup races of all time. Not going to tell you who they are yet, but one of his favorites coming up in the next segment. We're going to hear it start to finish and why Bob loved that race. All coming up, First Bet Racing Show, HRRN. The YMCA is just a starting line for the true self blooms only when we find our purpose, what makes us tick below the surface. My why is diversity and unity, a safe space in my community, living with sincerity, giving every day my everything. With my why, I stand strong, seen, and supported all along. It's a million faces in a mirror, and everyone belongs. Find your why. Learn more at ymca.org for a better us. Standing at the edge of a rocky shore, you breathe in the cool, salty air, watching the sun disappear on the horizon. Across the globe, someone begins their day along a sandy beach, listening to the rhythm of the crashing waves. You each envision a world beneath the water, vibrant life in every imaginable form. Now, imagine it's all gone. What was once a place of wonder and beauty is now a dull, lifeless wasteland. Food, jobs, medicine, all gifts from the ocean all gone. Time is running out to protect our oceans, and without our love, everything the oceans provide can and will disappear. It's our choice. Love it or lose it. Help protect our oceans. Visit World Wildlife Fund at wwf.org love. I'm William Shatner, and I've been around a long time, but I'm truly humbled when I see the real battles our brave, paralyzed veterans have faced defending our freedom. And when they come home, 
I had just come home from serving over in Germany. Next thing I know, it was three weeks later. I was paralyzed. While parachuting with my platoon, my parachute didn't open. I broke my neck. It left me paralyzed for the rest of my life. I was on a routine patrol, and uh, we were in the desert of Kuwait, and the vehicle flipped and landed on top of me, which uh, left me paralyzed from the waist down. Okay, folks, this, this, this is heroism. That's why I'm proud to support Paralyzed Veterans of America, because they've kept their promise to never leave a fallen soldier behind. A roof over the heads, accessible homes, cars, jobs, benefits. PVA has brought me back to life. Show them their sacrifice hasn't been in vain. Go to pva.org to learn how you can make a difference. Want to get the latest HRRN content directly on your computer or mobile device? Then subscribe to our podcast using the Podbean app or Apple Podcasts. Just go to hrrn.podbean.com on your computer and click follow or download the Podbean app and search HRRN. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and listen to our latest episodes anytime. Don't miss a thing. Subscribe to our podcasts today. You're listening to The First Bet Racing Show on the Horse Racing Radio Network. As they turn for home, War Campaign putting up a strong effort today. Strong quality, struggling. Speed bias, grandstand side. Coming to the furlong marker, War Campaign has put a length and a half on strong quality. Speed bias continues to grind along. War Campaign has to finish. Speed bias second best. And War Campaign ships in Arkansas and wins the Tinsel Stakes under Mandy Esquivel. Speed bias second. Strong quality third, sees the night fourth home, and then Dennington and Double Crown trailed the field. Welcome back. First bet racing show here on HRRN. Bobby Newman, Bob Nastanovich. Uh, we've got live action today from Fairgrounds still to come. Gulfstream Park already in the books. That was the featured tinsel stakes this past Saturday out at Oaklawn Park. And War Campaign, Bob, getting the job done impressively. Yeah, we talked about um, that horse uh, showing some outstanding works at Keeneland for trainer Phil Sims, and it was one of those cases where the horse was doing so great. They were shopping for a spot, and there was the valuable tinsel, uh, right place, right time. Horse ran a huge race and a huge number. Uh, be interesting to see if he stays down there, comes back for the uh, the full schedule of, uh, of uh, older horse uh, stakes races down there, which, of course, is uh, highlighted uh, towards the end of the meet by the Oakland Handicap. All right, let's get the prices out for the sixth race at Fairgrounds, where number six, Smiling Ellie, got the narrow victory, a two-year-old Bay Philly by Midshipman out of the El Corridor Emerlaud, owned by Bill and Liz Post in racing and others, trained by Mark Cassie, Ben Curtis, the winning rider. Yeah, Smiling Ellie was the six, paid 840 to win, 380 to place, 280 to show. Favored clearly copper again. She'll uh, she'll she'll have her day. Um, she's a very uh, capable filly. Needs everything to uh, fall into place. Uh, two eighty to place. Two sixty to show. Good effort by Marsha. 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 She paid two eighty to show. The one dollar exact is six three eleven ninety. The fifty cent try six three eight twenty two eighty. And the ten cent super six three eight nine twenty six dollars eighty four cents. Folks, what's better than presents from Santa? How about cash back? Get into the holiday spirit with a full card money back special at Gulfstream on Christmas Eve, only with First Bet and Express Bet. Get your cash back up to $10 each time 
the horse you bet to win in all the races at Gulfstream, comes in second or third this Sunday, December 24th. All right, Bob, I've been really looking forward to this part of today's show where we look back at some of your favorite Breeders' Cup races of all time. I'm not going to introduce the race or the horse. So those of you listening, play a little game. Try to see how long it takes you to figure out what year this race was, which race it was, who actually won the race, and if you're a sicko like me, who you bet in the race. Let's go back <laughs> one of Bob's favorite Breeders' Cup races of all time. They're all set. And away they go. From the inside gate, Dreaming of Anna got a beautiful start and kicks off for the lead. Here comes Appealing Zofie on the outside, and between those two we have Cotton Blossom, the pace not particularly fast early on. We come back to Octave getting a good position right in behind the leading group. Cotton Blossom on the outside of her. Lily Carson has to go about four wide. She's included in the red colours in the vanguard as well. Now, here's Cash included, racing in seventh in the white colours, gives them four-length start. Quick Little Miss is up a little closer today in the pink colours. Alongside of that comes Ballet Beauty, and down at the rail we have Sutra in the blue colours, who's now seven lengths off the leaders. Ad Rhythm and Her Majesty racing towards the rear. On the outside of that comes Gatorize, and Satulagi is the trailer, giving them ten length start. They make their way to the half-mile pole now, and Dreaming of Anna has got a dream run out here. She's not been pressured on the lead. She has it by a length now. There goes She's included up to put some pressure on her, appealing Zophie in the white on the outside. Tucked in at the rail is Octave. Now, Octave going to have to find some room. She's in with a big shot in the blue collars, though. Cotton Blossom racing back in fifth. Cash included. Not doing enough. She's eight off them. They come into the top of the lane now. And Dreaming of Anna's asked to kick for home, and she does so willingly. But Octave in the blue collars down at the rail is looming the danger. Appealing Zophie in the white cap, hanging tough. And Cotton Blossom on the grandstand side. Four of them line up as they pass the 300. Now it's Dreaming of Anna and Octave. But Octave is catching her stride for stride down the centre. Dreaming of Anna digs deep. She calls on all her class. Octave can get to her. And Dreaming of Anna and Renee Douglas have taken the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Elite three quarters. Octave a game second. Cotton Blossom finished up third. And appealing Sophie was fourth. All right, that was, of course, Trevor Demon on the call. The year was 2006. He called it wrong in the end. It was not the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. It was the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies. He also called her passing the 300, which I've never heard him use European-type race calling like that. He's always saying pass the 16th or pass the furlong pole, so that was a little bit odd. But it was Dreaming of Anna in wire-to-wire fashion, a fashion for the team of Wayne Catalano and Renee Douglas getting the job done, Bob, beating a full field that day and doing it impressively as the 5-2 to two favorite. Yeah, 14 horse field, pretty remarkable. But uh, I've, I'd spent uh, the first few years of the millennium in Chicago as a jockey agent and had befriended uh, jockey E.T. Baird. And uh, E.T. was working this Philly in the spring at Arlington Park and I got notified by him that this is an unusually talented uh, Frank Calabrese homebred out of Just Enough Hard, who of course was one of his best horses, a, a tremendous stakes winning mare, a Rahi filly, and I loved Rahi fillies. And uh, so that summer I was working as a mutual clerk at Colonial Downs and I get to work and grabbed a program and I saw they, they had a little $65,000 stakes called the Tippet. 
And I looked down, and Dreaming of Anna was entered at Colonial Downs. So I had the an outdoor spot as a mutual clerk, and I'm all excited. I bet a substantial amount for for me. Um, and I think she was like six to five when the uh, odds uh, opened, about 28 minutes before the race. And from my my perch as a mutual clerk, I looked across towards the the rail, and I saw ET, and he wasn't in the jocks room. He was wearing a t-shirt and shorts. So I I shouted to him, and he came over. And interestingly, he'd worked her three or four times before her first lifetime start at Arlington and didn't get to ride her because he was suspended. Ariel Smith rode her. So it's now it's less than a half hour. So I shout to him. I'm, I'm like, E.T., what are you doing? And he said, this is the strictest rule I've ever seen on arriving at the jocks room. I flew in here from Chicago on Frank's plane, and I got to Colonial 52 minutes before the race and they wouldn't let me ride because you got to be in the jocks room an hour before and they wouldn't they wouldn't make any exceptions and i said well what about the filly he said she'll win by as far as she she said that's he's the best two-year-old filly i've ever sat on and he was a veteran rider at this point a very good one and um so we watched her win by about seven and then i kept running into calabrese over the next few months uh, and not Calabrese, uh, Wayne. I kept running into Catalano. He sent her up to Woodbine. She won up there. And I saw him at Keeneland about two or three weeks before the Breeders' Cup. And I, I said, Wayne, what about what about Dreaming of Anna? She's definitely going to run in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies. And he's a very confident guy. And he said, not only is she going to run, but she's going to win. So <laughs> at the time... My best friend was a, still is this English guy named John MacArthur. I went to all 60 British race courses with, and he would come over for the Breeders' Cup. And we had the golden opportunity, since he was in England, to lock in odds on the Breeders' Cup races. And about two weeks before the Breeders' Cup, a few days after I ran into uh, Wayne Catalano, I said, John, what's the price at William Hill in the betting shop on Dreaming of Anna? And he said, 11 to 2. And which is five and a half to one, so we bet a lot on Dreaming of Anna, enough to pay for the week. And um, and then uh, you know she, when she won, she was five to two. So it was just like stealing a march on tremendous. She just became like a huge hero and really went on to have quite an outstanding uh, career. Of course, is the dam of fast Anna, um, who's I think has left. He's left the country now, but he's got that one filly with McPeak, who's very talented. Uh, it turned out to be a pretty decent stud. And uh, she herself, I mean, she actually um, went to, uh, she tried the turf at Keeneland later on in her career, ran a massive race in the QE2 at Keeneland. Um, she won graded stakes as a three-year-old, um, tried the Kentucky Oaks. Just a tremendous, talented little little filly, thoroughly lovable. But boy, did she make a fantastic day for me the day she won. It was the first race on the card, just a thoroughly great memory. I, I loved her so yeah, she ended up winning four more graded stakes in her career, won 10 of 17 career starts for just over $2 million, and of course was the Eclipse Award champion two-year-old Philly back in 2006 as well. All right, well, let's get another one in. We'll go back in the memory banks. Here is another of Bob Nastanovich's favorite Breeders' Cup races of all time. Charge and Wilburn, more than $700,000 wagered on the pair, and there's just a few thousand dollars separating them, so you could just about call them joint favorites. The last one coming in now is Trapshot. All set now for the mile. They go. And away they go. Perfect start. They all broke in one line. 
From the inside, the factor is setting off for the early lead. Shackleford is right there with him. Up alongside of those two now comes Tatazar in the third position. Irrefutable's the grey tucking in right behind them. Alongside of that is Jersey Town, who's keen to go on. He has the gold cap. Down at the rail, Wilburn is now making headways, only four lengths off the leaders. Trap shot in the red cap on the far side. Then there's a gap of three back to Caleb's Barsi and Masterball as the long shot tray for Archos. They head towards the half-mile foal, and the Factor's got it all his own way out here. He's striding along on a loose rein. The Factor in front. Shackleford is tracking in from second. Tapazar's on the outside of that pair. Jersey Town is travelling nicely right behind the leaders, and Wilburn going to go through on the inside. Trap shot is right there in six. He was in a little tight there, Trap shot. He dropped back. He's now four and a half off the leaders. Irrefutable is under a ride. Got to do better. Caleb's posse's a good nine off the leaders and Trey Baracho's last. They are coming to the top of the lane now. The factor on the infight and Shackleford. Riders riding Shackleford confidently. Just took a good look back. And the big white face of Shackleford kicks for home. The factor can't go with him. Jersey Town's coming out to them. Tapazar's running a huge one. Trap shot and Caleb's posse. Here comes Caleb's posse in the pink cap on the grandstand side. He looks like he's just jumped in at the quarter pole. And Caleb's posse strides right on by and he's gonna romp in the dirt pile it's caleb's posse striding home to win three and a half length shackleford was second but no one was going to beat caleb's posse today big runners trey baracho's come from last to finish there once again trevor demon on the call this time the year was 2011 the venue churchill downs the race the breeders cup dirt mile the donnie von hemel trained caleb's posse with Rajiv Mirage aboard coming from the back of the pack to not only win, Bob, but win authoritatively by four lengths. Yeah, it was a magical performance. I love that call. I jumped in at the quarter pole because it really did. It, she, you know, all of a sudden he, he just appeared on the scene and just uh, just he won in splendid isolation at the at the in the end. It was it was fantastic. But he he was one of those three year olds that. Uh, Really is sprint bred. He's just he's got a great seven. He was a great seven furlong horse who stayed a mile, and he was so talented that they tried to get him to stay two turns. And he he won a subpar renewal the Ohio Derby um, that June. And then they I remember when he came to the Iowa Derby. <clears throat> of course, that's where I worked, and um, he ran a he ran a, a poor fourth, and uh, that might have been the best thing he ever did because they started turning him back into seven furlong races, and when he won. The uh, King's Bishop on August 27th, which is my birthday in 2011, um, he beat Uncle Mo, and it was just a a, a very very memorable horse race. Just it, he was on paper, um, it was a loaded, really hot race, and he looked like the only closer in a race filled with speed. And he nailed Uncle Mo on the wire and. From that point forward, especially his last four races, which the, the first of the four was the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile, um, he got really good, like like really good. In his last two races, he lost the Carter by a nose to Jackson Bend, and then his last race, um, he lost by a nose to Shackelford um, in the Met Mile. And uh, boy, he got to be a really, really good horse, but that, that was a a sensational effort by him and I just thought he was a really cool horse from the Midwest that uh, got in there with the big boys and acquitted himself extremely well.
Yeah, they set a, a nice pace in front of them that day. Went forty-five and one to the half, nine and two for six furlongs, twenty-one and four for the seven furlong split, and he came rolling as he liked to do when he was good. And uh, not only one, but one going away by four lengths. Visually as impressive as you're going to see. And uh, Caleb's posse, I, I, I like that that's one of your favorites of all times because I'm guessing, except for people who are making scores on that race, that's probably not high up on a lot of people's list of their all-time favorite Breeders' Cup races. Yeah, I'm sure Donnie Von Hemel and the people who own the horse and the people bet certainly were, but uh, nice to hear the, your view on Caleb's posse and why that race was so memorable to you. We'll get to more of your Breeders' Cup favorites uh, in our number two. We need to get back out to the track, though, for some live racing action. Seventh race at Fairgrounds is uh, allegedly four minutes away. Mile and a 16th on the fast main track. Two turns here. Maiden special weight event for the two-year-old Phillies. Scratch number eight, flathead finale out of this race. First bet AI says you need to look at number five, Union Mist. She's the one to beat, according to the first bet AI. She is just the narrow favorite at two to one for the team of Brendan Walsh and Jamie Torres. Yeah, I think that's a good price on Union Mist. I thought that she'd be shorter than that. Um, she basically looked like a, a winner waiting to happen in her last race when she ran a really good second. Um, I think Fasta La Vista Baby is one worth watching here for Eric Shearer, of course, a member of the Shearer family who's, who've been a force at uh, Fair. This is the, the newest. I don't know who Eric is. I, I don't know whether it's Merrill's nephew, but it's a yet another Shearer. Of course, Richie and and Merrill and uh, Gary, they've they've been uh, winning a lot of races down there for decades. Um, this horse is a take charge Indy filly. Looks like uh, she'll enjoy the two turns. And uh, But <clears throat> I actually I was going to put a little bit of money here on a huge price. I uh, got some uh, somewhat uh, interesting going back to the Catalano barn. This is a regally bred filly, the four-horse Starina, ridden by young Erica Murray. Um, candy ride filly out of Rebridled Dreams. And Rebridled Dreams was just a fantastic uh, stakes-winning horse herself and is the dam of Carpe Diem and, and the uh, millionaire race mare Farrell. So just on pedigree, she's worth a look. She ran okay last time. She's getting better gradually. And at, at 39 to 1, I kind of feel like she's worth a little bit of a play across the board. Bob, you're a worldly kind of a guy. Were you a fan of the movie The Birdcage? I'm I'm only familiar with it by name, Bob. Okay, so it, it's a movie with uh, uh, Robin. It, it's basically uh, Robin Williams and others, and it revolves around uh, them running a uh, a female impersonator show club down in South Beach. And Starina was the name of Nathan Lane's persona in the show. He was he, Nathan Lane uh, played the like the more flamboyant of the gay couple of he and Robin Williams. Robin Williams was the I guess the more ma more manly, if you will, of the two. And Nathan Lane was the very effeminate of the two. And she was the star of the show. And Starina was the star of the show uh, at the club called the Birdcage, which was uh, located down in South Beach. I don't know what the, I don't know if that has anything to do with the number four in this race because I'm looking at the at the breeding candy ride out of a mare named Rebridled Dreams. It doesn't. I don't know if it fits in or they just came up with the name Starina, but uh, it's I actually think it fits really, in. Bob, it's a fun movie. It's a great movie. 
Yeah, no, it's it's always nice to know where names come from, and and uh, yeah, I, I appreciate that. I, I I can almost guarantee from your story that's where the name comes from. Well, why would now wait? Why do you say that? What have I said that makes it sound like that's where the name? What it's just an unusual name. It's just an unusual name for a Philly, so it, it it has to come from somewhere. I mean, it doesn't come from the the anything in the uh, five generations of the uh, pedigree. So that's you know I don't who owns this horse. What a, whoever Coffee Pot Stable is, who also no, yeah, yeah, they they owned Rebridal Dreams as well. Okay, um, yeah. So I'm just going to go on a limb and assume that they're big fans of the movie The Birdcage. Okay, or maybe Nathan Lane is part of Coffee Pot Stables. Who knows? <laughs> it uh, could whatever be. it is, uh, Bob thinks that Starina, who is forty to one right now, has at least an outside look in this spot. Uh, how big of a deal is it to you, Bob, when you see these runners? that are getting to the fairgrounds for the first time and also getting Lasix for the first time. Is that a, do you pay attention to that? Is that a positive thing for you? It kind of scares me from a betting perspective because some, some horses, as we know, really um, improve considerably from first time Lasix and, so, and some, it doesn't really make much difference. So it just makes the race more difficult to read. We have one, two, three, four, five, six first-time Lasixes in a 10-horse field here. So it just adds, like a, to me, like an unreadable element of mystery. Um, and uh, Starina is not one of them. She's second-time Lasix. Well, some, some people like to bet that angle. Um, so anyway, she's working really well, and I just think she's a ridiculously large price, and so maybe she'll get a piece of it. By the way, our producer, Lee Delapina, who knows more about the breeding of horses than either of us combined, said Starina is also a former Ruthenian village in eastern Slovakia. I don't believe that plays into the breeding of Starina. I, if, I'm, I'm going to say there's a better chance it's named after Nathan Lane's character and not the Slovakian Ruthenian village. <laughs> Doesn't really matter. 40 to 1, we'll see what she does. John Dooley on the call, race seven fairgrounds. And they're off. Union missed. There's Thorny toward the inside controlled temper and Fasta La Vista baby is also forwardly placed as they head toward the first turn. Angel of Faith in the Kelly Green cap and controlled temper the two as they round the first turn with seven furlongs to run. Fasta La Vista baby's running in third. Then toward the inside is Starina running in fourth. Union Miss Black with the gold chevrons is outside her. It's a break of two more to Thorny at the six and a half. Bronte Ferry found the rail while racing three clear from Churning Bernie, who settled second to last and Sterling Luck trails. The opening quarter in 24.34 seconds. These maiden juvenile fillies making this run toward the half-mile pole with James Graham and the rail. Controlled temper leads by a half to three quarters. Brian Hernandez Jr. has Angel of Faith right there with the leader. Then toward the inside is Star with on the outside, Fasta La Vista Baby and Union Mist is in between Phillies. These well grouped as they head toward the far turn. Thorny is on the extreme outside, six lengths off the leader, controlled temper. Then Bronte Ferry with between horses, turning Bernie. And on the outside, Sterling Luck with her bid, half mile and 48.82, controlled temper with inside three furlongs to go. Controlled temper still to track down. Angel of Faith staying near. Fasta La Vista baby Thorny is coming four wide. Then toward the inside is Union Mist as they close ranks. Starina with Bronte Ferry now pulled out. Churning Bernie and Sterling Luck on the extreme outside across the track. Three quarters, one minute 14.56 seconds. It's Angel of Faith. Controlled tempers drop 
back. Union missed between Phillies right there. So is Thorny with the white cap. Fasta La Vista baby battles hard. Angel of Faith narrowly. Fasta La Vista baby. Union missed with on the outside Thorny. And here's Bronte Ferry with her late charge at the wire. Bronte Ferry to win it. Bronte Ferry over Fasta La Vista baby. Union missed and then Angel of Faith. Three of them pretty tightly on the wire. Looked to me like 9-2-5-6, the unofficial top fourth. Uh, Brody Ferry, Tom Amos, Edgar Morales up in the nick of time, I believe, to get the maiden win. Yeah, it made a huge charge home on November 22nd at Churchill when she closed from about 10th to 2nd, beating three and a half. And another, uh, yet one of the Phillies near that got first time Lasix for the Amos barn, which is... Uh, in sort of in typical high percentage fairgrounds form and uh, great ride bagger Morales and uh, won by about a neck in the end. All right, we are going to take a break. When we come back, we'll get you those prices from the seventh at fairgrounds, and we've got more live racing to come. But on the other side of this break, we are going to speak with Dean Reeves from Reeves Thoroughbred Racing. He's been a friend of the network for many, many years, and he's owned a lot of really, really nice horses over the last five, ten years or so. But he was on the wrong end of what I thought was a ridiculous disqualification this past weekend at Aqueduct. We'll get his thoughts and find out just exactly what has hap- what happened in that race and what's happened since then. This is the First Bet Racing Show on HRRN. Want to get out of just about anything and look like an earth-saving hero? Just use the environment excuse. High school reunion? Ooh, sorry, can't. Planetary obligations. Unfortunate bridesmaid's dress. Unfortunately, you promised the climate you'd buy more vintage. Chauffeuring teens? Yeah, the earth really needs them to hoof it. That's right, the environment is always the best excuse. So go ahead, ask your bae to dim all the lights because carbon emissions. Tell your dad bought a dad to eat more plants. For the planet, obviously. Kindly tell the kids to stop asking for a new phone. I mean, e-waste, right? Find your out and opt in to cutting carbon. Just visit theenvironmentexcuse.org. A public service announcement brought to you by WildAid. My battle buddies and I attended the NHL Stadium Series at Yankee Stadium. We had never been there before, and two of us had never seen a hockey game. Man, we had the time of our lives. It was great therapy. Bet Ticks, we can't thank you enough. Every empty seat at a concert, a game, motorsports, or a play is a missed opportunity to say thanks to a veteran and service member. We can help. We can give our veterans a special event where they, too, can create their own cherished memories. Find out how by visiting www.vettix.org. That's www.vettix.org. Find out how you can make a difference in a veteran's life. What's up, y'all? I'm Kelly Clarkson, and as the daughter of a school teacher, I know just how important education is. No matter how old you are or your situation, continuing to learn will enrich your life and help remove barriers you didn't even know were there. So much opportunity, y'all. Whether it's a foreign language, history, or a different way to look at things, take some time each day to learn something new. This message is courtesy of the United States Air Force. 
Hey, this is Bobby Newman. Join me every Friday afternoon to dive deep into handicapping the races. We'll cover the live action from some of the biggest tracks in the country, talk to some of the major players in the game, and hopefully make a little money along the way. You can also call the show to share your opinions, ask a question or two, or maybe just vent about some bad beats. It's Betting with Bobby every Friday from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius 162, XM 207, online channel 999, or streaming live at horseracingradio.net. You're listening to The First Bet Racing Show on the Horse Racing Radio Network. They are stacked up here as they reach the top of the stretch. Gets real tight there for the big torpedo. Had to jack. Heavyweight chances in front. Heavyweight chances got the lead. Brick ambush is right up alongside. It's heavyweight champs who's boxing onto the inside. Brick ambush trying to catch them both. Antonio Venice is in the clear. And Antonio Venice is now launching here late in the blue blinkers. Antonio Venice three wide. Antonio Venice takes the lead. Brick ambush is back to second. Heavyweight champs is in third. Antonio Venice is your winner. Antonio Venice gets the victory over Brick Ambush. That gave heavyweight champs the big torpedo, Liberty Central, and another photo in one minute 24.40 in today's night. Welcome back. First Bet Racing Show here on HRRN. Bobby Newman, Bob Nastanovich. Folks, if you're missing all the action at the great race place, don't worry. The wait is over. Racing returns to Santa Anita Park with opening day. The classic meet is coming Tuesday, December 26th. Express Bet and First Bet are giving you a chance to win your share of $10,000 in bonus cash when you hit the late pick four on opening day. That rejoin, of course, was one of two New York Stallion Series events this past weekend out at Aqueduct, the Great White Way Division. Half a million dollars on the line for the two-year-olds, sprinting seven furlongs. And Antonio of Venice crossed the wire first and is the official winner of the race. Uh, Bob and Nastanovich and I both picked that horse on our weekend stakes preview, and we both bet the horse a little bit, Bob. And watching the race, I thought immediately, uh-oh, we're in a little bit of trouble here. I think our horse is going to come down. The inquiry sign went up, and indeed there was a change to the order of finish, but it wasn't the horse that we thought caused the interference and that it seems like the whole world thought caused interference. It was runner-up, Brick Ambush, for Junior Alvarado, Danny Gargan, and our next guest, Dean Reeves, who was disqualified from second and placed last for... I, I, I have no idea what he did. Dean, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. But it's been a, a really weird week for you, I guess. Yeah, good afternoon, gentlemen. Uh, Bobby, Bob, good to talk to you both. Um, yeah, it's been crazy. Um, just as you were alluding to, um, I still hadn't figured out what it is my horse did or got involved in that situation. But um, I don't know. Nobody's given us any answers. All right, so they they end up putting the inquiry sign up. They take your horse down. What what is the timeline of you know from you watching it or hearing about this to you know what you could do and trying to contact stewards and what has gone on from that day of the race until right now? Well, I, you know, I, we were here in Atlanta watching the race, and I was like you. I thought that the one horse came over, and there was some interference, but I was watching it going well, looking at the one horse, because that's where the the light was on and the flashing light. So um, we were just waiting, and I really thought I was going to be put up to first. But when they came back from break on TV, they said there was no change. 
And I said, well, okay, uh, so be it. And then, I don't know what, maybe 15 seconds later or so, um, they came back and they said, oh, wait a minute. They've disqualified the 12 horse. And I really wasn't paying attention to that because my phone was ringing and it was Danny Gargan. He was pretty livid and said they, they disqualified us. I said, no, Danny, there was no change. And he said, no, you go back and listen. They've disqualified us. And I said, how could they disqualify us? We weren't involved in the, in the problem. So anyway, I went back and sure enough, they had disqualified us. So I immediately called us, you know, up to talk to the stewards. Well, that was a waste of time. They hung up on me twice. And, um, the third time they said, call us tomorrow. So, um, I finally got to them, um, Sunday and, I, you know, they just said, well, we think your horse caused the interference. And I said, well, I, I don't know how you could think that. And so I, I didn't get anywhere, obviously, with them. And so we immediately uh, filed an appeal. And then shortly thereafter, the gaming commission came back and said, you're, you know, you can file an appeal, but it's no good because uh, we don't have to hear it. It's a judgment call and, and you know, you're done. So that's... Um, that's pretty well much the way it was. And then, of course, I don't know that I've ever seen this much uh, involvement by people all through the horse industry that have been disgusted with this whole thing with these stewards. That is, it's turned out, um, I guess there's one from the Jockey Club, uh, the Racing Commission, and Naira, and... One of the guys was on vacation, and I guess they had two other people there, but I don't know that um, – we don't know what happened because they won't come say who uh, it would – you know, but everybody, every steward thought or how they justified a horse that was on the outside and not involved. You can see it on film. So they just put their head in the sand and said, too bad. Yeah, um, thank you very much for, for your time, Dean, and I know Danny and – I'm sure he was absolutely livid <laughs> and justifiably so. Um, like Bobby mentioned, uh, you know, we watched the race very closely. There was about a 12, 13 minute delay before the decision was made. And that always suggests to me that a lot of uh, paperwork is being filed and uh, faxed in to make a change. Usually you don't see um, the, uh, the, the potential offending horse. If you looked at the tote board, there was an inquiry, an INQ, only next to the one horse, not your horse or any other horse right. that was anywhere near the incident. So, I I mean, like Bobby, we only we basically thought it was a situation where either we come down or we stay up with the horse that we bet a few bucks on. And right. um, to then find out way after the fact that they disqualified a horse in the race and go back and watch the replay and see that your horse – was just to the outside of a very potentially dangerous situation in which the 11 horse who was in the three path um, basically had to be eased. Thank God didn't clip heels and come down. That was, that was a minor miracle. And the seven, the big torpedo, basically there was room for two horses there and there's three horses. And to be quite honest, Antonio of Venice and, and Manny Franco was full of horse he basically bowled his way through there, and thankfully, it wasn't a a bad incident. And uh, right. your how your horse and I was I'm a former Equibase chart caller, 
And if you read the, of course, we know that the uh, New York Equibase employees are very, very descriptive. Your chart comment is very accurate. It's tracked the early pace, made a four-wide bid by the quarter pull while being bumped in the hind end, vied for command off the turn, um, lost the crop near the 316th pull, which had nothing to do with the incident, gained a short head by the 16 market, but could not hold off the winner late. So when you're an Equibase chart caller, you do have a chance to express your opinion, and they clearly indicate that they saw that your horse was in no way involved in the incident, other than potentially negatively in the fact that he got bumped by the horse one to his inside, which was the big torpedo. So it's just, um, you know, we see bad calls and racing throughout the course of the year in every jurisdiction, uh, the, but this is above and beyond. I mean, I've never. I mean, this is this this is as bad as I've ever seen in my you know forty years of forty five years of watching races. Well, I did a um, a still photo of every tenth of a second, uh, so that would have been at one point one zero, one point one one, as they're coming around all the way to it to one point one four. That we're we're never involved in that. Now, quite frankly, you do see the one horse trying to go into uh, that spot that was not there. Uh, I think there was a very clear picture uh, in TDN or, or Blood Horse or something that clearly showed him creating the problem. So I, I, I'm just for the life of me, I don't know how they got to my horse. And it's even more frustrating that they won't come out and say, here's what we saw. Here's the video. Here's the pictures. This is what we saw. And they owe it to me. They owe it to you. They owe it to the racing community. And they've just gone to the house and said, uh, you know, too bad. Crazy. So, so Dean, explain. I don't, I don't quite understand this. And I read this about the, the commission basically saying, it's a judgment call. They can't, you know, they're not ruling on it. It is what it is. What, what can you appeal then? What, what can be appealed and overturned if not for a judgment call? Because it would seem in, you know, I, everyone I know's view that it was very poor judgment that was used in that race. So what, what authority does the commission have as far as appeals go if they're not even willing to even think about doing anything here? Well, as far as their authority and the Gaming Commission, um, they've left me no avenue to do anything about it. Um, uh, Whether I'm right or wrong, I I have no avenue to uh, make an appeal that they will even listen to. Now, if if they'll go back and at least somebody and then go – Fellas, um, you know, stewards, show us, show us the, the how you got to the twelve, being the problem, so we can back you up, so we can go back there and and justify this call. But if it's wrong, let's just tell everybody it's wrong, and w- then we can move on. But um, they they've not come out, and 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 all they've said is, well, we think the twelve horse um, caused the. They want to say a chain reaction, maybe, to to use a term. And that was pretty much it. And Javier Castellano, his claim of foul never somehow never managed to get to the stewards. I don't know how that can happen. That's crazy. So it was a real cluster. 
Yeah. How is Brick ambushed, by the way? How did he come out of the race? Because he ran, he, he ran an outstanding race and uh, and finished well, just, you know, basically going forward. He looks like a very scopey horse. Uh, uh, hopefully you'll get a chance to uh, not be denied a $275,000 or $100,000 prize with him in the future. Well, he's doing well. He came out of the Good. race well, really well, and um, I'm excited about that horse. I think he's going to go uh, further. He's nowhere near filled out and grown into himself and we knew that last april danny and i talked about it and said look let's um he's going to be late but we've got to try to get to that five hundred thousand dollar race so um we're going to run a couple of races early he's not going to be ready to go six furlongs but um he's not that kind of horse but we've we've got to go in there and see can we get you know part of the purse and i mm-hmm. thought he ran really well um, really rode a nice race and, and I'm, you know, still baffled by the fact that, it, you know, at worst case, I thought I was going to finish second. I'm sitting there thinking that, that I got a really good chance to be moved up to first. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, good luck with him and hopefully, uh, you'll have your day with brick ambush. Well, I hope so, but I, I really appreciate and want to say this to the listeners and, and everybody, we have gotten so much support. Um, I think you've seen what Mike Rapoli has, uh, his suggestion. And uh, we've gotten so many text messages, emails, phone calls from people I don't even know all across the racing community that have uh, have really backed us and, and uh, sent their condolences. And we really appreciate that. It just knows what, uh, what a close-knit and, and great group of people are out there in the racing industry. Hey, Dean, before we let you go, uh, is there anything you can do as far as contacting David O'Rourke, who, of course, is in charge of Naira, and, and getting any sort of, you know, contact with him or back and forth to find out, you know, what exactly happened here? Well, I, you know, I have a good friendship with David, and, um, you know, I didn't want any of this to, to impact that because my friendship certainly more important. I did send David uh, the still photos that I did for each of those tenths of a second. Um, so he did receive those, said thanks, and, um, you know, I've not heard back from David on this. So, um, you know, we'll uh, – uh, I was – it was my understanding he was going to go in and uh, discuss it with the stewards so maybe they could show him, you know, what it was they had – seen but uh i've not i've not heard anything back from david all right well certainly uh hope to hear something positive uh when you do hear back from mr o'rourke really appreciate you taking the time to join us i know uh you've been a a very popular person to speak to this week but all for bad reasons uh that's not why we like speaking to you dean you're usually somebody who's walking around with a big smile on your face and obviously a big uh uh proponent of this game that we love so much we love seeing you when it's breeders cup time when it's derby time in stakes is stake racing all around the country and going forward let's keep it more toward that my friend well that's what you know i'd, I'd love to be back on your program because i've won some big race rather than i won a race and got this dq'd so it is certainly not why i want to be uh, getting this sort of attention but you know it's part of it it's happened to other owners uh, it will happen again, and um, we're just ready to move forward and look into getting a big 2024 started and, and win some races and get back to enjoying the game. 
tour. All right, Dean. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. And look forward Absolutely. to seeing you in 2024, my friend. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it very much. Thanks for having me. Thank you. All right, Dean Reeves from Reeves Thoroughbred Racing, kind enough to join us on what certainly is a, a tough week uh, for him. Let's face it. He finished second and a half million dollar race, Bob, with Brick Ambush. That was $100,000 if they just don't do anything in the race. Most people thought that he would be placed first via disqualification, so moved up to the $275,000 first place prize. But what ended up happening, by virtue of the stewards, in my mind, bad ruling, was they disqualified him and placed him last, which gets him $2,142. So at minimum... Uh, I think the bad call cost him about $98,000, but more likely it cost him about $273,000 before, of course, the trainer and the jockeys cut. Yeah, it's amazing that he has such a good attitude about it. I mean, it's, I mean, we hear owners uh, tell stories about horrible experiences getting taken down. And then, you know, of course, in those cases, it often seems to be like a 50-50 call, you know, that, that kind of thing. But this is just this this decision made little sense to me. I can't really see how you can make any case to, to disqualify his horse and to lose, you know, basically two hundred seventy three thousand dollars. So I mean, we both thought he was going to get put up to first, right? If you somehow haven't seen this yet, uh, go back on whatever ADW you use uh, to the ninth race this past Saturday, December sixteenth at Aqueduct, the Great White Way division of the New York Stallion Series uh, that was won by Antonio of Venice. Uh, We are concentrating on the run. Basically, where the quarter pole is, you'll see a lot of them stacked up. Antonio of Venice is in behind the leader on the inside. It looks to us and most people watching as though Manny Franco, who's the leading rider, uh, tries to come out to find room aboard the eventual winner, and in doing so, uh, impedes several horses to his outside. Uh, in Listen, I don't want to say everybody's eyes except the stewards, but uh, a lot, most people's eyes other than the stewards, they thought that if there was going to be a disqualification, it would be the winner, number one, uh, not the runner-up, number 12, who kind of looked like he didn't do anything. But, no, uh, and Junior I, Alvarado know, I'm, I'm got three days. About, you know, we're laughing about it because, listen, you know, if, if I'm in Dean Reeves' position... Um, I'm I, livid I, I, like I the I, trainer. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. The bad part is he, it doesn't sound like he can do anything. And let's face it, the purses in New York are very, very good. So it's not like you can say, I'm just not running in New York anymore. That, that's not realistic. Not when you have a good New York bread. I mean, he's yeah, got a he's I, got a, I mean, he's got a great New York bread. Yeah, but I'm saying the purses overall in New York are very very good. There, you know, they and Kentucky and Arkansas have really benefited from this uh, alternative gaming, and Absolutely. the purses are very high. And obviously, especially when you get to the Belmont Park and Saratoga times of year, you have some really really high level and prestigious stake races. Uh, and let's face it, Dean Reeves is in the game at the highest level. Uh, he is uh, paying good money, usually for established runners. He's had some good luck with runners over the years. He's obviously got a pretty good one here with Brick Ambush, the New York bred, who did cross the wire second and probably should have been placed first, but it didn't work out that way. So uh, I don't know if he has any sort of, you know, any sort of 
thing he can do right now other than just kind of clench his fist, you know, grab the stress ball, if you will, and just uh, kind of go scream in a closet and come back with a smile on his face. He's a guy who, in general, is a very, very happy, fun-to-be-around guy, exactly what you're looking for in this game. Uh, Positive thinking, great interview, always willing to talk to people. He's actually... Uh, from Georgia, and he's been trying very hard over the years to try to get horse racing to Georgia. Of course, they, I don't think they have any sort of gambling in Georgia. They may have lottery, but I don't, you know, they don't have sports betting. There's no OTBs, anything like that. And he, he's been trying for years to try to get some sort of racing to Georgia. I don't know if that's ever, uh, ever going to come to fruition, but he's obviously a guy who loves this game very much. And uh, for the most, listen, we bet against his it wasn't that you and I are betting against his horse we were betting on Antonio of Venice and I can say it as much as anyone else the horse I bet should have come down very lucky not to do uh it was not a life-changing score for Mm -hmm. either of us it sounds like it was a very small bet uh on my end um and yes I'm happy that the money went into my account but uh that was like found money as far as I was concerned in fact I uh I took my wife and daughter out to a very nice meal that night, uh, courtesy of what I thought was an awful ruling uh, by the stewards out at Aqueduct. All right, um, let's get the prices out for the seventh at Fairgrounds, because we need to get over for the eighth. Seventh race won by the nine, Broadie Ferry, a two-year-old Bay Philly by Audible, out of the distorted humor mare Praia, owned by Joel Politi, trained by Tom Amos, with Edgar Morales aboard. Yes, Broadie Ferry paid eleven forty to win, six forty to play, three sixty to show, Good effort by the uh, second place or a significant improvement from Fosta La Vista Baby. 12.20 to play, 6.20 to show. And the favorite, Union Mist, a little bit disappointing here, paid $3 to show. The $1 exact at 9.258.30. The 50 cent try, 9.251.50.50. And the 10 cent super, 9.256.135 and a pair of pennies. And two two other things. Uh, Junior Alvarado, of course, got three days um, from that incident, um, which was wildly undeserved. We're talking about purse money in New York being high. Um, that's three days of, of business for him. And, uh, yeah, if you when you do watch the replay on the ADW, they will show you all of the stewards' angles on, on the, uh, the ADW I use, so you'll be able to look at exactly what the stewards were looking at. Even if, I, in my mind, even if you somehow can talk yourself into thinking that Brick Ambush did something in that race, uh, caused some sort of interference. I don't know how you could look at it and say that the one didn't do at least as much, if not more, to cause the interference. I, I, you know, that, that's, the, that's the thing. Not that I think that they should have taken both of those horses down. I don't. I think they should have taken the one down, but that's what's very odd. And I, uh, I'm going to tell you a story during our next segment Cool. Involve, I, there was something like this that happened somewhat similar when I was calling the races at Thistledown over 25 years ago, and um, I, there was an interesting response by the general manager of the track when this <laughs> happened. It was, it was really phenomenal, but with the, they're getting ready for the post time for the 8th at Fairgrounds Mile and a 16th on the turf, an allowance event for fillies and mares that are non-winners of one other than scratch uh, numbers 11 on down, big field of 10 going to post in this race, number one, now use can't leave is the top selection of the first bet AI, despite being 18 to one 
right now in the wagering. Actually, there are several in here that are that are uh, evenly uh, on the top of the first bet AI. The one, now use can't leave. Number two, Union Dolly. Both have a big chance. The public, though, Bob, thinks it's all about number six best performer, six to five on the board. Yeah, no, I kinda, I'm going to stick with the Margolis barn in here. I like uh, Paint Me Perfect, Munnings, Philly. Um, again, Barnes uh, pretty hot. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha ran a good third there in the previous uh, or two races ago on this card. And uh, nice price, six to one. Um, yeah, you can see why they're betting Joe Sharp's uh, best performer. Oscar performance, of course, very versatile sire. And uh, six to five is too short on this one, in my opinion, but definitely has a lot of chance. All right, horses are making their way from the main track uh, on through the gap onto the turf course at Fairgrounds for the eighth race on the card. Bob's top selection, number three, Paint Me Perfect, coming off a nice second-place finish at the Fairgrounds last time out. Uh, six to one right now for that Steve Margolis trainee. Uh, last time out, she was 15 to one when she ended up running second. So a little bit more respect for her today off that that big effort against similar competition. She took a lot of races to finally get that maiden win, but her two starts since breaking her maiden, both against uh, A or the then allowance competition, one at Fairgrounds, one at Keeneland, have both been pretty strong. So she doesn't look like she's far away. That being said, number six best performer is the solid selection in here. She's another one. She took forever to break her maiden. It came in her 10th career start. And then last time out, she ran in an off-the-turf race. It seemed like every scheduled turf race during the last few Churchill meets has been moved over (laughs) to the main track. Uh, And she was in one of them, and she ended up running second, only beaten a half a length. Speed figure-wise, though, either one of her last two starts certainly going to make her very tough in this spot. Don't know if I want to take six to five on her, uh, but she certainly makes a lot of sense in this spot, and she is getting heavily played at the windows. Just waiting for one more sake or sake as I it would be. We'll see how uh, John Dooley pronounces Saki. her as they make their way into the stalls for race eight at Fairgrounds. And they're off. Union Dolly now use can't leave with the running rail. Pay me perfect in the purple cap. Best performer, last of the Nile, and beautiful navigator has the blue blinkers as they make the way toward the first turn with Relu Gutierrez. Union Dolly took the early lean from a close-up. Now use can't leave. Beautiful navigator and best performer as they enter the first turn. Last of the Nile in the black cap with the between horses clever joke and pay me perfect is saving ground as these leaders go to the back of the course. The greatest Catherine Blaze taken back to settle off of heels. Outside her is Sake and Sweet Alyssa trails the Phillies mares turf 24.45. Lead seconds as they make this run up the back, and it's Union Dolly. Union Dolly shoulders the load in front of now use can't leave by a length and a half. With on the outside, beautiful navigator vying for third best performer holds the rail. It's a break of four more to last of the mile running in fifth. Pay me perfect is sixth. Clever joke in seventh. Then toward the inside is Sweet Alyssa. Up a couple of spots, Catherine Blaze and Sake. Half mile in 49.22 as they traverse. The far side of the fairgrounds course, Union Dolly continues to be the front runner here for Ray Lou coming toward the quarter pole. Union Dolly by two. Trek by now use can't leave. Best performer with beautiful navigator straightening away a joint third. Then pay me perfect in fifth. With on the outside, last of the Nile, Sweet Alyssa. We trail back to Clever Joke. Toward the inside, Sake. And finally, 
Finally, Catherine Blaze, after three quarters and one minute 13.37 seconds. Nearest the inside best performer came through. Union Dolly was swallowed up, and here's Pay Me Perfect, who's rattling home for David Cohen. Well inside the final half furlong, Pay Me Perfect, best performer, gamely toward the inside. Pay Me Perfect, and best performer, and a barber. Sweet Alyssa, third. Sake finished fourth. Close. Pay Me Perfect and Best Performer. They battled to a driving photo finish. Unofficially, a photo finish between number three, Paint Me Perfect, Bob's selection in the race, and the favorite Best Performer. Those two nip and tuck to the line. I thought your pick, Paint Me Perfect, was just a nostril in front, Bob, but the, the, the shot as they got to the wire, the camera got further away and it became harder to figure out who actually was in front at the line. Pretty close there between the three and the six, with the ten and the nine finishing third and fourth, respectively. Yeah, beautiful trip uh, for the uh, seven to one paint me perfect, and here really no excuses other than if she did get beat, um, she got beat by a very very tough horse because best performer looked like. Uh, uh, she was uh, not going to win the race, and she really dug deep and uh, battled back. It was a really tenacious effort by the uh, four to five favorite here. So, again, like you, I have no idea who won that race. Uh, in fact, it could possibly be a heater. Uh, very tough call, but uh, outstanding effort by Paint Me Perfect, win or lose. Seven to one on Paint Me Perfect, four to five on Best Performer. Nip and tuck down to the line. They're showing the slow mo of the uh, up close. Finish in the race. Paint Me Perfect just in front. Best performer surging down to the inside and actually bobbed exactly on the line. The question is, did that bob get her up in time to win? I still don't know if she ever got her nose in front of the three. We will uh, keep everyone posted and get those prices and results uh, when they go up. All right, let's get back to Bob Nastanovich's favorite Breeders' Cup races of all time. We've already talked about dreaming of Anna winning the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies and Caleb's Posse uh, winning the 2011 edition of the Dirt Mile. Here is another of Bob's favorite Breeders' Cup races in history. And they're off. And they're right at the start. Spanish Fern, and Spanish Fern has been pulled up and pulled out of the race. Spanish Fern has been pulled up. Victor Espinosa dismounts. In the meantime, the rest of the field continues on their way, and it is Maltese. Six, three, ten, nine, six. Best performers. Bottom line, collect the cash. Will be the prompter as they come into the stretch for the first time. Tushaman hugs the hedge in third position. Tranquility Lake is just off the pace today. She's running in fourth. The Gray Golden Mix is fifth. The favorite Petrushka, a ground saving six. She's got a good spot in the early going. Snow Polina is now seventh, followed by Perfect Sting. Running in mid-pack, she's eighth. Pico Tenerife in the clear ninth, followed by Cold Star, the German filly Catella, and at the back of the pack, fly for AB and stretch running Cafe Latte. It's a sensible pace here, established by the Japanese filly, Maltese Superb. The first quarter at 24 and change, and the half goes in 48 and two-fifths seconds. The field rounding the clubhouse turn now. Maltese Superb and Yutakataki. The leader's down. Here's Collect the Cash to confront her as they move into the backstretch. Collect the Cash now makes a move with five furlongs remaining here. The leader now in front by a head. 
Early leader Maltese Superb is back in second. Tranquility Lake cruising along in third. Tushaman is moving very comfortably. Drafting in behind the leaders. Fourth as they approach the half-mile pole now. There goes Snow Polina making her move. Snow Polina moves up to be fifth. Goldemix is now sixth. Petrushka is in behind horses. She's seventh, but she's only four lengths for the lead. And Perfect Sting is launching her bid as the field moves into the far turn. Now Perfect Sting is picking off horses one by one as they round the far turn. Tranquility Lake has come away with the lead. Snow Polina is right there. Collect the cash. Perfect Sting on the outside. Tushamans is behind the lead. Goldemix. Petrushka's got a lot to do. She's still six lengths behind as the field comes to the top of the stretch. And Colstar is uncorking her rally. And the German filly, Catella, isn't with the chance. And they're coming into the final furlong now. And on the outside of this Perfect Sting. Perfect Sting has come away with the lead. Tushamans is full out and driving second. Snow Polina toward the rail. Catella coming down to the final 16. It is Perfect Sting clinging desperately to the lead. Tushamans. I'm so tired. And that was the year 2000 back at Churchill Downs. Tom Durkin on the call of the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Turf, won by the Joe Orsino train. Perfect Sting, of course, owned by Stronic Stables, ridden to victory by Jerry Bailey, beating a, a full field of 13 others, including a 7-5 to five favorite coming from France in Petrushka, Irish-bred Philly, actually, uh, ridden by Johnny Murtaugh, could do no better than 5th Bob, but Perfect Sting getting the job done over to Charmant in the year 2000. Yeah, I had the pleasure of seeing Perfect Sting run several times live, and very memorably that summer, uh, June 10th, on Belmont Day. In fact, it was the Belmont won by Commendable at, at about 20-1. to 1. It was eligible for an entry-level allowance race and, and somehow won what was a pretty weak renewal of the Belmont uh, for uh, Pat Day and D. Wayne Lucas. But uh, earlier on the card, um, I was on the rail and watched her win the Just a Game Breeders' Cup handicap, which at the, at the time was a grade three race at Belmont. And um, I was standing just inside the eighth pole when she kicked in, and uh, the turn of foot that she had was just remarkable. I mean, like I said, she won 14 of her 21 races, and uh, me and a, a buddy uh, um, actually made a bet that I, I rarely make. We took uh, her on top over all the horses in second and all the horses in third on Breeders' Cup Day. It was a memorable day. I lived across the street from Churchill Downs at the time, and the newspaper decided to do a part of their Breeders' Cup section called the Betters, and they chose all the gambling junkies that hung out at my house and they did kind of a feature story on us and one of the highlights uh, was a couple of buddies of mine from Boston who came down had the Spain Surfside Exacta in the uh, distaff which was an insane payoff and we had this try that paid close to 2900 a couple of uh, let me see who was second and third it was a couple of overseas horses I believe uh, one was like 15 to 1 one was 16 to 1 yeah two Charmant and uh a German horse that uh, Kent DeSormo rode. Um, but it was a, just a marvelous score and, and a very triumphant moment for a filly that, that I always really liked. Definitely my favorite Stronach runner of all time. And, and I believe there is a stakes named after Perfect Sting now. Well, Perfect Sting uh, not only winning the Breeders' Cup filly and mare turf in 2000, she was awarded the uh, champion grass mare for the Eclipse Award in 2000 and as well. Overall, she won 14 of the 21 starts in her career, made over $2.2 million after that win in the uh, Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Turf in 2000. She actually came back at Hialeah 
and won the grade two Black Helen before trying boys and uh, not doing so well in the grade one Manhattan in the final race of her career. Um, by the way, you mentioned that you lived across the street from Churchill Downs. Uh, I have a, a, a few years ago, of course, we cover the Kentucky Derby every year or, and do our Breeders' Cup countdown shows live at Churchill every year here on HRRN. So a couple of years ago, um, you know, I think it, was, it wasn't the COVID year, so maybe it was, it was 2021 let's say, and, and people were, uh, businesses were struggling, the ones that were stayed open, you know, they're trying to find people to work and things like that. There is a strip club down the street from Churchill Downs. Did uh, they hire you? No, but it's called Perfect Tens, and the sign outside said, now hiring eights. <laughs> so even, even the gentleman's club. Feeling the employment crunch. The pinch. The pinch. Yeah, after, the pinch. after, after uh, the COVID year of 2020. All right. Um, you know what? Let's get the prices in for the eighth race at Fairgrounds. It was very tight on the line. Bob's selection number three, Paint Me Perfect at 7-1. to one. Looked like she was in front. The favorite at 4-5, to five, best performer. Got a good Bob right on the line. Couldn't tell if it was good enough to get up even or in front of Paint Me Perfect. Photo shows, it was good enough, and she was the winner. Number six, best performer. Favorite gets it done. Three-year-old Dark Bayer Brown filly by Oscar Performance out of the pulpit mare Kinsley, owned by Kat Kirk and Wayne Sanders, Joe Sharp Train, Jamie Torres Road. Yeah, red-hot stable um, at present, uh, Joe Sharp. And uh, when you're hot and you're winning races, you get lucky like like uh, Best Performer did. But, again, she was really tough. I mean, she was definitely headed and uh, really dug deep and won under uh, a gifted, uh, relatively new rider on the scene. This Jaime Torres, uh, Best Performer, paid 380 to win, 280 to place, 280 to show. Paint Me Perfect, great effort, paid $6 to place, 460 to show. And uh, Sweet Alyssa from uh, Neil Pesson's stable, uh, paid uh, six twenty to show, the one dollar exact is six three ten dollars and fifty cents fifty cent try six three ten thirty seven sixty and the ten cent super six three ten nine paid twenty four dollars and three cents. I thought you were going to give us the old Jerry Reed song when you're hot you're hot from back in the seventies sometime. Of course, Jerry Reed not only a uh, famous singer but he was uh, famously the snowman Cletus Snow in all of the uh, Smokey and the Bandit movies as well. But you didn't go that way. I'm That's sorry. Yeah, and no, I, no I, relation I to Mr. So, I Reed. I have so much minutia going on between my ears. It's just, uh, it's just ridiculous. Let's get another one of Bob's favorite Breeders' Cup races in of all time. Here's another one that was probably a little bit more memorable to people. Let's go back to the year 1990. And uh, they're off. Safely kept goes right to the lead. The Philly champion quickly opens up here by two lengths. And on the far outside, Dejer is right there. And Glitterman is also mixing it up. Dejer mixing it up now with his American rivals. Carson City is up close to the pace. He's running along in fourth position. Potentiality is fifth. Darguy is now racing in sixth position. Mr. Nickerson has fallen. We have a spill on the turn. Shakernit went down. And Mr. Nickerson also down on the track. 
spill on the far turn, and now the field moving toward the top of the stretch. It's Dejour fighting it out with last year's champion safely kept. The English champion now has taken a short lead as they come to the top of the stretch. Safely kept is right there in behind them. Glitterman is now running along in third. Black Tie Affair sweeps to the outside, then Prospector's Gamble and Carson City. They hooked up at the start. They're still going at it. Safely kept on the inside. Brave down to the final furlong on the outside. Dejour and neither giving way. A dramatic confrontation here as they come down to the final 16th. And it is Dejour who forges to the front. Safely kept coming back at him. And Dejour took a bad step. Ten feet from the wire. And safely kept comes on to snatch the victory in the final stride. Once again, the year was 1990. It was at Belmont Park. Both of us happened to be there that day. We didn't know each other at the time, Bob. Uh, a lot of bad stuff happened at Belmont Park on Breeders' Cup Day 1990. Of course, the most memorable was the distaff and the, the running down the stretch with Go for Wand and Bayakoa and what happened with Go for Wand. But obviously, some uh, bad things happening in the sprint as well with some talented horses as Mick, Mr. Nickerson and Shaker Knit involved in a spill on the turn. But what happened nearing the wire is what I think a lot of people will remember of that race it looked as though Dejer was on his way to going by the speedy Philly safely kept when what happened well excuse me he came over from from England with a huge reputation and it's interesting to hear uh, Tom Durkin called the race because it even even threw uh, Tom Durkin off of course the brilliant race caller um, there was a, a very large shadow about, I'd say, what would you say, about 50, 60 yards from the wire um, from the massive Belmont grandstand. And it was a bright, sunny, crisp fall day. And Dager mistook the shadow for an obstacle, a hurdle, and uh, jumped the shadow. In fact, I remember when he became a, a, a decent stallion, uh, one of his better uh, sons from his first couple of crops was called Jump the Shadow. Um, but it cost him the race. I mean, I, it was the first live Breeders' Cup race I ever saw. Um, and I bet on Dager. Uh, thank, thankfully, I bet to win in place. Uh, so I, I got my money back. But uh, I was just in a, I was just stunned. I mean, it, was just, it was just a magical moment. A lot of great things happened that Breeders' Cup day. My Unbridled's Classic was fantastic. And, of course, Royal Academy winning the Breeders' Cup mile under Lester Piggott, was, who had just been released from jail for tax evasion. That was quite a scene so it was just a very very dramatic uh memorable day that the 1990 breeders cup and uh for me it sort of sealed the deal as somebody that would you know spend the next 30 plus years of my life making sure i got to every breeders cup i could uh, i needed best pal for my lungs in the juvenile that day and he bled in the race and fly so free Fly uh, so free. Up, and Yeah, ended up, I mean, fly so free might have beat him anyway. I think Best Pal by far ended up being the better of the two horses career-wise. But uh, that day he was not. And I remember it being a very cold day, especially for somebody who was mm. uh, West Coast-based and uh, being in New York on a very rare occasion. It was a cold day at Belmont Park. And Meadow a lot of negativity Star won on that the racetrack. day. But as you mentioned, a lot, a lot of memorable things on the positive side mm. as well. And uh, certainly a, an intriguing edition of the Breeders' Cup Sprint, uh, won by the Philly, safely kept. Uh, before we go to break, I mentioned uh, before that I had a little bit of a story uh, regarding something similar to what happened with uh, the stewards' decision at Aqueduct this last weekend, what happened with me up at Thistledown. So I was calling the races at Thistledown, 
And one of the top riders, I like to handicap the races, even if I'm not betting them when I'm calling, I like to handicap them just to see, well, who kind of usually goes where that you just, you know, who, who's supposed to be where and those kind of mm. things. And one of the top riders is riding a horse who was three to five that usually figured to stalk the pace and probably win going away. Um, and the horse broke fine, was wrangled back to last not persevered with all the way around the racetrack. And then basically when they got inside the furlong pole, closed from last in a field of eight to finish like third or fourth. But non-menacing, no chance, ridiculous. And I ended up calling the beat writer for the Cleveland Plain Dealer who was in the press box at the time. And all I said was, did you see that? (laughs) And he said, yeah, what the heck was that kid doing? And we both basically implied that we thought that there was some chicanery going on by the rider of this horse, that maybe he did not pull forth his best effort. Uh, and I don't want to mention the guy's name. He's not riding anymore, but he was a, he was a very good rider uh, at the time back then. Uh, anyway, well, it became a big thing. And by the way, the horse came back the next time at the same level with a far less rider and won by eight. Um, So the general manager of the track at the time is a guy named Bill Murphy, who is now uh, in charge of the rebate program for our friends at Express Bet and First Bet. And he's at Gulfstream Park every day during during this championship meet. He's a very smart guy, uh, good guy. And he's the boss at the time. And he goes into, he takes a VHS tape back then (laughs) and goes into the steward's office and he he says i want you guys to watch this tape and i'll leave you alone and just come back and tell me what you see and they say what is it and he tells them what the tape is they said we already know what that is nothing happened in there there was no issues and he says well you know i have a little bit of a problem then He says, either you guys are not qualified for this job or you're in on it. And and that was that. And he fired the stewards that he was allowed to fire, the ones employed by the track. And I think he ended up getting sued by one of them and things like that. Um, it, It was a whole big thing. And that's kind of what I get from these. When I watch the replay of this stake at Aqueduct last week. Either you have people that are clearly not capable of doing that job or they have another agenda. And I don't think it's the second one of the two. I don't think so. I I don't think so. Um, But something something is wrong with that. That that is a decision that can never be made. It, it, It just, it makes so little sense that that runner-up got disqualified, um, and to me, that the winner did not get disqualified. I thought it should have been the 1, not the 12, certainly not the 12 and not the 1, um, and it sounds like I am strictly in the majority when it comes to that thing. So I don't know what that is, but I, I, you don't need to comment on that, Bob. I don't want to get us... Listen, I don't mind getting myself into a jackpot. I don't want to get anyone else into a <laughs> jackpot. Uh, but that, that's my opinion on where this is. All right, let's take... Our last break, we'll come back. We've got six minutes to go to the ninth race at Fairgrounds. Might have time for one more of Bob's favorite Breeders' Cup races of all time. First Bet Racing Show on HRRN. The future depends on teachers. 
Every day, teachers are shaping our tomorrows, starting their students on journeys that will change the course of history. Right now, in a classroom somewhere in the United States, there's a teacher inspiring a future scientist who will make preventing pandemics their life's work, sharpening the mind of an aspiring environmentalist who will help combat climate change and generating possibilities for a student who will be the first in their family to graduate college. It all starts with teachers who meet challenges with creativity, who reinvent education for the future, who work towards a school system that lifts up every child, regardless of race, income, or zip code, and who enable the full potential of our students, our communities, and our country. Explore a career that leaves a legacy you can be proud of. Shape the future. Teach. Learn more and receive free support at teach.org. James Brown and Bill Cower welcoming you back to Dennis Melvin's house. It's time for the Midnight Snack Run. This is one tricky obstacle course. Sticking to healthy habits in this kitchen is going to take focus and determination, but it can be done, JB. He's already entered the snack part of the course, and he's eyeballing a jar of chocolate candy. That is tempting right off the start. Uh-oh. He's reaching, Bill, but he pushes it away. Great stiff arm. He's approaching a plate of delicious-looking iced cookies. Oh, Dennis, you only want one of those. He blows right Right by him for the apple. Oh, the fridge. It's make or break time, JB. He stares down some rich-looking treats. Uh-oh. Looks like he's headed for the soda. Wait, he jukes left, grabs the water bottle, and shuts the door with his elbow in record time. Unbelievable move. I gotta see that again. And he's out. He even turned off the light. That's the way you execute a midnight snack run. Stand up to cancer and rally want you to reduce your risk for cancer. Go to takeahealthystand.org. Hi, I'm Smokey Bear, and I made an assistant to help you out because only you can prevent wildfires. Hey, Assistant Smokey Bear, call me Papa Bear because I'm grilling up dinner. <laughs> do you get it? Yes, good job. So what should I do with all these coals? Don't just toss them out. Put them in a metal container because those embers can start a wildfire. I understand. The stakes are high. Ha, 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 ha. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Don't miss the Equine Forum every Saturday from 8 to 11 a.m. Eastern, right here on HRRN. Mike Penna brings you the latest in thoroughbred racing, featuring interviews with trainers, jockeys, owners, and other racing insiders. Plus, exclusive segments you won't hear anywhere else. The Equine Forum, the show that launched a network. Saturdays, 8 to 11 a.m. Eastern, Sirius 162, XM 207, and streaming live at horseracingradio.net. You're listening to The First Bet Racing Show on the Horse Racing Radio Network. But they all need to step up to Wolfie's Dynagos to win the Prairie Bayou. Wolfie's Dynagos has led the entire trip, and he still is clear at the eighth pole. Hush of a storm's running a good one. Cellist is launching his big charge. It's Wolfie's Dynagos. Cellist is coming with a big run. Wolfie's Dynaghost and Cellist. Wolfie's Dynaghost and Cellist. Wolfie's Dynaghost and Cellist. One, two under the line. Looked like Wolfie's Dynaghost. Cellist was coming quickly. Then hush of a storm. Wolfie's Dynaghost and Cellist in a photo finish in the 28th running of the Prairie Bayou Stage. That was Tony Kalo on the call last weekend at Turfway Park. Prairie Bayou went to the 4-5 to five favorite Wolfie's Dynaghost, who held on for that wire-to-wire victory under Tyler Connor, Ford trainer Jonathan Thomas. Welcome back to the First Bet Racing Show here on HRRN. 
Bobby Newman, Bob Nastanovich, folks, time is running out to enter the first bet $20,000 sweepstakes series. Earn entries for every wager you make through December 31st to win a $1,000 betting voucher. Get bonus entries on weekdays and on first tracks. Ten runner-up winners get a $500 betting voucher. Another 103rd prize winners get $100 betting vouchers. Can't win if you don't opt in, so load up your first bet account and start wagering. All right, Bob, let's get out to the fairgrounds. Ninth and final race on the card. Six furlongs on the fast main track for the accredited Louisiana-bred two-year-old maidens in for a $10,000 tag. Full field of 12 going to post in this race. Five to two favorite right now is the 11 Quail for Steve Asmussen and Brian Hernandez. Also, clearly the top selection of the first bet AI. Yeah, probably deservedly so. But, you know, of course, part of... A big part of uh, playing horses and handicapping in in general is identifying bad favorites. And to me, Quail is one. Um, Seven to two in the morning line, this two-year-old colt by Midshipman. And he's got a lot of things in his favor. favor. He's he's a well-bred horse. He costs $56,000 in a $10,000 maiden claiming race. It's debatable whether that's a good sign or a bad sign. Um, Obviously, high-profile connections, Asmussen, Brian Hernandez. Um, the negatives, I mean, drew the 11 hole could be a negative for a horse likes to be on or near the lead could get hung outside or, you know, somebody to his inside might be a little quicker. He might not make the lead. Uh, and most significantly he's run three races, five to two in his debut, ninth beaten 16, uh, nine to two in his second start, seventh beaten 12 faded badly. And then no excuses at this level last time. And pretty much stopped and got beat by two of his rivals who were in the race. Um, so that's a lot of uh, negatives for a horse that's five to two is, was two to one a second ago. So Jack the Whistle, the five horse who finished second in that uh, November thirtieth race, um, definitely has a shot. But uh, if you watch the replay, Red Rock Solution, who was a first-time starter in there, a horse that cost a mere one thousand dollars by Real Solution. Uh, the pride of the uh, Demouche family, owned by Elizabeth Demouche, trained by Ricky Demouche. He's run two horses this meet, second and a third, including this this one, of course, he ran third. Um, bad start and rallied pretty impressively. And with Traylon Al- Albert, um, I think basically if you flip-flop the, condi- the uh, connections of the 10 and 11, you'd see wildly different prices. And I think that it's a good opportunity, uh, capable connections to win a race and... Um, I think Red Rock Solutions the play. All right, number 10, Red Rock Solution for the lower profile connections of uh, Ricky Dumoche and Traylon Albert. It's currently 6-1 to one on the board. Favoritism going to the 11 Quail, who uh, finished behind Red Rock Solution last time out. Of course, Quail was 9-5 to five that day. Red Rock Solution, an unknown quantity at 31-1. to one. So a little closer, in fact, a lot closer in the wagering today, five to two and six to one respectively, but the uh, bigger, as I say, billboard connections when you talk about Steve Asmus and uh, anywhere that he runs horses, and obviously Brian Hernandez Jr. Uh, wins a lot of races when they're during these fairgrounds meets, and he's off to a good start once again this year. Really, really good. Yeah. By the way, one of the nicest guys in racing too, Brian Hernandez. Jr. Oh, absolutely. Great and, guy. Uh, and uh, so I, I don't know if it's... Uh, if Quail is overbet in this spot, but uh, certainly doesn't look like Quail is much better, if any better, 
than number 10, Red Rock Solution, who just simply does not have those billboard uh, connections with the tra- as far as the trainer and jockey go. These Louisiana-bred accredited two-year-olds have made their way to the starting gate for the ninth and final car- or race on the Thursday card at Fairgrounds. Should be covering Fairgrounds once again tomorrow uh, here on the network on Betting with Bobby. So looking forward to seeing a lot of the Fairgrounds during the coming months. And uh, obviously, they have a great three-year-old program down there. Well, two-year-old and three-year-old program. We're going to see a lot of great stake racing this Saturday at Fairgrounds. In fact, Bob, they've got eight stakes on the Saturday card, and we're going to talk about all eight of them as part of our weekend stakes preview uh, tomorrow night from 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern time, including the Untappable and the Gunrunner, big uh, big final two-year-old races uh, for Phillies and Colts and Geldings with Kentucky Oaks and Kentucky Derby aspirations. Those are uh, the untappable and the gun runner, uh, part of a monster card on Saturday at Fairgrounds. Here's John Dooley with the finale. They're off. Run, rice, run, broke sharp. There's Quail, who's quick. And toward the inside, Cage of Mischief, it's Quail. Quail just leans. The pressing pack there, AG's gem with uh, toward the inside, Jack the Whistle. Cage of Mischief tight at the rail after a sharp start. Run, Rice Run now chases the pace. It's AG's gem, who's just a leader past the half mile. Then it's a break of three more to Boli. Nearest the inside, a true target with Chaotic Jack, the Grand Canal Street Cupid as they round the far turn. Can I uh, get shuffled back as they round the far turn with three furlongs to go? And still these battling leaders. Uh, then well back there to Yaki Doodle Dandy and Red Rock Solution on the extreme outside trails here in the Thursday finale, the quarter 22.25 seconds. These maiden two-year-olds turn for home past the quarter pole. And here's a sweep from Bolai. Quell has the white cap with AG's gem. Run, Rice, run. A true target is mustering a rally as they come down toward the final furlong. Jack the Whistles well back in the pack. It's Bolai. Quell toward the inside. These two battle just above the 16th pole. Charging his cage in mischief along with a true target. And on the outside is Chaotic Jack. A wild scramble. Here's Chaotic Jack at 16 to 1. Right over the top for Kylie Wellington. Chaotic Jack on top from Cajun Mischief with a true target bowled by Quail. Unofficially 3-2-1, the top three finishers in the finale at Fairgrounds. Chaotic Jack with Kylie Wellington aboard getting the unofficial win at 16-1. to We'll get you those prices, assuming we get them before the end of the show. All right, we have time for one more of Bob's favorite Breeders' Cup races of all time. So let's go back in time to the year 2010. We're not going back to the year 2010? 113.72. I can't start my day. Uh, We're cool. It doesn't sound like we're going back to the year 2010. (laughs) It was a very good year. There we go. Not quick into stride, though. She's dropping in mid pack. Fastest into stride here is Sydney's Candy, and Sydney's Candy all alone out here on the lead. Get Stormy's racing along second. Beethoven kicks through at the rail. The usual QT is pulling very hard. The usual QT wants to go on now. Pulled his way up to be a joint second. Now here's Goldakova, caught a little wide in the turn. In the white we're gonna we're gonna cut that off because uh, I made a mistake in here and I called for the wrong race. But the race that we were trying to get. Uh, which was my fault because I said going back to 2010, it was not 2010, it was actually 2018, was the Breeders' Cup turf 
won by the great Philly Enable, of course, trained by John Gosden. Uh, my fault that we did not get that for you. Let's go to it now. We have time. Let's get the Breeders' Cup nice job, Lee. from time. five years ago. We are ready for a start. They're off in the Breeders' Cup turf. Glorious Empire goes immediately to the early lead, and Channel Maker is sent along on the inside, so these two are one too early on, and Enable is right behind them, and now High Happy goes into the mix, too. Then it's Robert Bruce, Talismanic on the inside, and Hunting Horn. Magical is in behind them, five and a half lengths off the lead, then Quartetto de Cortes, followed by Arc Lowe on the inside of Waldgeist. Liam the Charmer is next, and Sadler's Joy Trails. The first quarter was 24.65 seconds for Glorious Empire, who leads Channel Maker by three quarters of a length, heading into the stretch for the first time. High Happy is perched outside of them, running in third position as they straighten out. And then it's Talismanic, last year's winners. Don on the inside, five lengths off the lead, enables in between horses. Hunting Horn is there on the outside. And then comes Robert Bruce, followed by the other filly in the race, Magical, who's six lengths off the lead. Waltgeist is next, and then comes Arklo. They continue through a 49.11 half mile. And then it's back to Liam the Charmer, Quartetto de Cortes, and the trailer is Sadler's Joy. Glorious Empire on top as they make their way into the clubhouse turn. Channelmaker continues to be the closest pursuer in second, and High Happy is third. And then on the inside is Talismatic, and Abel is fifth right now. And she's five and a half lengths off the lead, three quarters up and one. 14.22, solid enough on this going as they head on to the back stretch. Hunting Horn is outside of Enable. Now they're moving together and they're about three and a half lengths off the lead. And just ahead of Magical, who right to the outside of her has Robert Bruce. And then it's Waldgeist. On the inside comes Arklow. So they continue up the back stretch and it's been Glorious Empire all the way so far. Channelmaker is second, High Happy is third. Meanwhile, Enable at this stage of the race is seventh. And she's three lengths off the lead, running in behind horses, moving for the far turn. Let's see where she goes from here. Around the turn they go. And High Happy has taken the lead. Hunting Horn is second, and now Frankie Dettori brings Enable to the outside of them, and here she comes up for the lead as they come to the top of the stretch. Magical's moving with her, and she got an inside run, and they're into the stretch, and the two fillies are one, two, Magical and Enable, and they kick on from Sadler's Joy. It's Enable on the outside, in the center of the turf course. She has taken the lead, and she's pulling away from Magical, who continues to battle her, though. It's these two, one, two, down to the finish. Enable and Magical, and they're well clear of the others. Racing royalty, Enable and Frankie Dettori. The arc winner is the Breeders' Cup turf winner, too. Magical was second. It was a long way back to Sadler's Joy, and Arklo Enable has done it. That, of course, Larry Colmas on the call in 2018 with Enable getting the job done for Frankie Dettori and John Gosden, a popular winner, Bob, in the Breeders' Cup turf at odds of 4-5. to Two-time arc winner and definitely the only arc winner that will have won the arc at Shanti and Longchamp. And uh, vividly remember her first lifetime start at, at uh, Newcastle. I was visiting my friends in Margate over there. I said, I think we're going to see something special. I think we should wait up before we go out. She was just marvelous. And uh, I made the trip from Iowa to see her because I was just a huge fan. Her only U.S. appearance, and boy, it was worth the trip. She actually had won five group races after that victory in the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Turf, including four Group 1 races overall, 15 of 19, with her earnings of over $14 million in her career. That's going to wrap it up on a fun edition of the First Bet Racing Show. 
Our producer, Lee Delapina, my co-host, Bob Nastanovich. I'm Bobby Newman. Stick around. The Call-In Show is coming up next. James Scully and I, number to get in, 888-966-HRRN.